0: Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. So welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm excited that my guests today, are uh, Connor and Paul, have uh, listen uh audio branding um so this is a whole new world to me um i know it's been around for a while i kind of remember the uh the intrigue around microsoft and them having a branded sound but now i think the world of uh, audio branding is expanded way beyond that as are um as our use of technology has changed, and sounds have come into all different areas of our of our of our technical technological remit. So, um, shall we start with you, Paul? Do you want to just uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey that took you to Listen?
1: Yeah, Hey, Ed, Thanks for thanks for having us. I'm Paul Amatai. I'm executive strategy director at Listen. Um, my role at the company is about as as the title might indicate, thinking about strategically um, how we work with our clients, how to best find a solution for them when it comes to how and where they show up um, across the sound and music space. You know what, where are their opportunities for them to to make sound uh, and not make sound? Um, and you know, there's a lot of different things that that can mean. At this point, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, but also thinking about strategically opportunities for the business all up you know that the, the space is changing very rapidly it's different kinds of areas of opportunity opening up and, and thinking about where can we head as far as different services we can offer and also different kinds of opportunities for products or
2: ip
0: Cool, connor
2: yeah thanks for having us ed um connor moore executive creative director at listen Um, really in charge of the creative output of the company and, um, similar to Paul, we work in tandem to, uh, you know, develop obviously the creative strategy, um, behind, uh, what we're, what we're shipping for clients, but also the creative vision behind where we're taking the company. Um, did you want to know a bit more about background here or just, uh, current status?
0: Yeah. If you could tell us what, what took us or what took you to, to listen, what your journey has been.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, mine started pretty young. Actually, I was, I was uh, immersed in music at a young age. My dad is a jazz guitar player, um, big jazz aficionado. So it was, it was a big part of our upbringing in our family. Um, and went to college and was was deep into playing in bands and um, started composing and writing music and producing, um, which kind of, you know, opened my mind on 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 why aren't brands thinking about using sound as a more strategic element to their overarching branding. <clears throat> um, my brothers were, uh, you know, eight to 10 years older than me and they were in the Bay Area at the time and had uh, visual branding firms. So it kind of sparked that interest, you know, and, in, in, you know, companies uh, approaching audio from that more um, strategic lens that can, can branch out and touch all the touch points um, within a brand architecture um so you know uh, right out of college came out to the bay area and kind of started um, immersing myself in that in that world right connecting with different um agencies on developing uh you know primarily a lot of audio ux a lot of sound design experiences for product um this is about in 2005 so this is kind of at the beginning of audio user experience design at the time you know sonic branding was as you mentioned up front, kind of more more about just like Sonic logos, right? Um, music was seen more as um, kind of a one-off campaign, right? Um, to support a campaign rather than, you know, how do these elements all tie together? So uh, from there, I started my own company, Seymour um, Sound. And, and that was, you know, initially working with agencies um, to brand. And then over over the course of time, started working direct to brand a lot of them, you know, I'm based in the Bay area. It was, it was, it was really across the tech space. So companies like Google, Tesla, a lot of work in the robotics space, um, Uber were clients of mine, LinkedIn, um, and and developed those relationships and, and started working on the broader kind of 360 degree audio brand angle. Um, and then recently joined Listen as ECD about six months ago. That's
0: awesome. So, um... How would you describe to the to the average layman uh what listen does uh trying to trying to avoid all marketing buzzwords <laughs> now I, even if that even if that is uh i know that might be might be challenging but uh in a nutshell in a very couple short couple of sentences what does what does listen do
1: yeah so yeah try to avoid too many buzzwords but there are some that <laughs> tend to bubble you know we're, we think of ourselves as well, as a full service sound agency and that means that we can cover the range of different needs that a brand might have that covers yes definitely sonic branding is a big part of what we do Um, that can manifest as things like sound logos uh, but also ux sound sound that supports different product or ux um, within you know different kinds of technology platforms in particular Um, automotive space another one that we're pretty well invested in Um, but we also do work around You know, original music composition, um, audio ad production, doing some podcast production as well. And it's so in the case of podcasts, we could, you know, do some work where we're supporting more in terms of creating discrete assets, branded assets, whether it is, you know, optimizing logos or um, music or, you know, sort of voiceover strategy and and thinking more about um, podcast toolkits, but also soup to nuts, you know, full production from concept through execution and campaign strategy around that. So, Covers a lot of a lot of ground. We also do a lot of experiential work, particularly working with artists um, to create um, AR, VR, AI-driven experiences. That work is often done in partnership with our sister agency ADA, um, who is really invested in the experiential space, working with working with cultural institutions and brands. Um, so yeah, it kind of covers a lot a lot of ground, but definitely um, the areas where. You know, we see most of our work coming from is in, you know, brand communications, um, particularly sound logos, original music, brand anthems, um, stuff to score, you know, ads. Um, UX is a big part of the business and another area we're seeing a lot of growth around is voice, um, which we can definitely dig into more.
0: Cool. I know you know that you you live and breathe this every day, so, uh, you know, this doesn't, this seems obvious to you, but why why does audio matter? Connor, do you want to... Kick that one off.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I'd say the first thing is, you know, we can't really avoid sound, right? Um, visuals you can close your eyes or turn your head, um, but sound is something you can't really escape. So it's super important that we're and we are able to design sound, you know, in a way like we never have. So um, it's important that we we really do it very intentionally. Um, and then number two, you know, sound has the ability to really influence our mood and emotion, um, thinking obviously through, through music, right? Um, that highly affects our mood, but if you take it to a more granular level and pull out, start pull, pulling out elements of music, right? You can identify in, in terms of melody, like major versus minor uh, modalities are really gonna influence that particular emotion and mood, right? Something like tempo, faster tempo is gonna inspire you um, motivate you, maybe get you amped up, where <clears throat> if you take something slower pace or pull out the rhythm, it's going to put you in a more meditative state um, or a sleep state. So it has the ability to really influence our mood our mood and emotions in a way that a lot of other mediums don't. Um, but also, it's it's a form of information, right? So going back to the idea of, of melody, you know, we can take concepts of music theory and u- utilize those across something like a user experience, right? So something that's a major modality, you know, a, a one, three and a five interval on a major scale, you know, something like that in an upward notation can be used for like a success state, right? Whereas something going downward, that's um, potentially, you know, flatting the fifth or the third, sorry to get too, too in the weeds on tier here, here, but um, you know, that's gonna be something, uh, an error state, right? Or a power down type sound. So um sound generally just has this ability to really tap into the emotions of people um but it also has the ability to push people um and guide people through user experience so it's it's just a really powerful medium
0: yeah i mean it it, it makes sense i mean the, the one thing i was i was thinking about um that i haven't mentioned is um this whole idea of the playlist. I know there are a bunch, there were a bunch of companies, because I had worked with retailers in the past. And they they were so embedded in the audio experience in store. Um and you know, they talk about day parts and being able to influence people to stay in or stay out or that always was another that was another part of audio that um was kind of weird because it wasn't necessarily it was always borrowed you're you know they're borrowing tracks and playing them in the store but somehow there was someone who was trying it was probably some strategist or someone called a strategist uh trying to rationalize why those uh, tracks were being played in that store at that time but that seemed to me like there's a brilliant there's a there's a brilliant documentary on nirvana i don't know if you've ever seen it where it basically starts with the rise of rise of the band through playing in london and getting discovered by british journalists and ends with smells like team spirit being played in a shopping mall on muzak
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it. well <laughs> do you know the name of the documentary i'm curious i need to see it
0: yeah, i'll send it to yeah. you yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. But, um, that whole idea of music, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that infiltrates our, infiltrated our shopping experience is another part of audio that you sometimes don't think about.
2: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, the retail space, but also there's a lot of work happening in the office space, right? Um, you know, when I was in it, it's going directly back to that, you know, utilizing uh, modalities in an intentional way or tempo in an intentional way, it, it really, um, has the ability to tap into that emotional system and, and the way that our brain works too, and in terms of potentially motivation or, uh, driving energy, you know, or calming down. So there's a ton of opportunity across, you know, retail spaces, um, office spaces, public spaces, and and experiential, um, spaces as well.
0: It seems it's a really interesting, um, intersection that you've got to kind of navigate which is kind of what you're talking about um which is we know that certain music or m- can drive emotions in a certain way and then on the other side you've got the brand that believes it has an emotional territory or fingerprint paul how do you how do you think about those two things aligning is that part of what you do is that part of your world? Yeah. Um, I,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess I'm kind of thinking to, to your your point around like the, the retail experience and, and how that's changing um, just really, really quickly, you know, the obviously we've, we've moved a lot quite far from what Muzak was and um, there's companies that really focus on thinking about, you know, the retail experience, particularly whether it's music curation Original music, um, uh, you know, also just gets down into selection around like what's the sound system that you're using within a particular type of environment, how you're calibrating. Just even think about EQ within a particular place that is going to resonate with ears that are younger or older. (laughs) You know, gets into some fairly specific things around calibrating those environments to make it appealing or
2: not.
0: There was a story. There's a story I remember just reading it about Abercrombie deliberately playing that music loud because they didn't want older people in the store.
1: Right. And so it's hitting that's at certain right. frequencies that are not appealing to those audiences. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is also folks are trying to figure out like, yeah, you can definitely do playlists or different services you can use for accessing you know, infinite amounts of music, um, but how can we do something that's gonna be really bespoke and feel more um, specific to our brand? Um, Some of it might be just around curation and making better choices, like what are the kind of key, you know, what's our brand personality about, what are those core attributes, and then how does that translate into existing music that's out there in the world? Uh, But also starting to think about generative music, which is becoming um, more realistic as a possible um, approach. You know, there's different apps that are out there, whether it's for different purposes around like relaxation, sleeping, calm, calmness, you know, that um, allow you to, have sort of long form music that's changing slowly over time, but starting to see some of those same techniques uh, being applied in office or, you know, work or retail environments in order to create something that is um, bespoke, but it's also um, varied enough uh, to not be fatiguing to the people that work there in particular, um, but also, you know, subtle and slow changing enough that it's kind of, it is really background. So it's probably, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of leveraging a lot of things that, whether it's Brian Eno or others talked about for decades um, around you know how to calibrate the environment to just be sort of wallpaper um, but doing it now with like the technology tools that are available to really leverage that
0: so let's let's talk let's talk about the um the emotional the intersection between emotions and brand because we know we, we know emotions can drive certain things but maybe the brand isn't about those things that the emotion drives so connor you know all the you know all the tricks of the of the trade of what you can do to manipulate emotions with music but if the brand isn't about those emotions you kind of have some kind of friction
2: yeah totally i think they're you know there are is obviously you know part of our process and upfront kind of discovery is like what are those guardrails how does this brand how does this brand act in the world at all of their touch points? Because, you know, ultimately a brand, it's important for a brand to be consistent and cohesive, but it also has to be dynamic, right? So these core brand attributes that are, that we really define in this upfront discovery are driving kind of how we're crafting, you know, potentially instrumentation and timbre. Um, but there should be also flexibility in, um, and kind of that more emotive element you know of, of modality right and also tempo because there has to be that dynamic ability for a brand um, especially if you're composing for um, various parts of the brand right because um sound really needs to act different ways at different touch points so there has to be the um there 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 can be tension there but there also has to be understanding of dynamics and flexibility, because ultimately that's going to allow the brand to um, to be authentic at those places, right? Yep.
0: Yeah. Paul, any thoughts? Want to add? No, I think
1: that's right. I mean, I think just like speaking to just our, our general process, it, you know, it, it starts with understanding the brand at the DNA, DNA level, and, and oftentimes, you know, we're entering into projects where... A lot of that has already been figured out at the verbal and visual brand level. Um, you know, maybe there's been a recent refresh and then folks start thinking about sound at that point. Um, and so we're referencing already, there's language to work off of, there's there's references to work with. And we're then ultimately trying to translate that information into sound and music characteristics. If you're saying these are the terms that you use to talk about your brand, um, you know, how can we then, demonstrate how that can work when it comes to the things that connor was talking about in terms of major minor key instrumentation texture um, tempo all those kinds of things that we can kind of pull as levers um, musically um, to ultimately then have those as as tools that you can essentially to connor's point you know turn up or turn up or turn down depending on the touch point depending on the intention it's going to be yeah like you said there's how to find that right balance between what is the brand all about, and what is the kind of like emotion or mood or that we're trying to convey? Is that um, in line with what we're about and how we're trying to reach this particular audience? So those things can be essentially calibrated. You know, how do we if we're about you know being uh, empathetic, but we're also innovative, there's times where you need to turn up one or the other depending on like where you're showing up and what's the story you're trying to tell and who you're trying to reach. So um, there's there's a lot you can do in kind of trying to get to a place where it feels like it's more, objective so you can both help those teams understand like how you can use these tools and how to create something that's not just based on personal preferences um, that this doesn't actually work for the brand
0: yeah i think that's really interesting that that probably you've got sort of this core sound dna of the brand that matches the brand and then when you think about the out the channels or where those sounds are going to be experienced you've got channel traits you know that that there's a there are certain traits that um certain environments, you know, that that impact how the brand plays in those channels, because, you know, um, being in a retail environment or being on a phone or, you know, or, or being in the office, they're all kind of they, they'd have different modalities, I would assume. Um, the thing I think would be really interesting, just as a strategist who's never worked in sound, but I, I, I really thinking now, wow, wouldn't it be great? The, the problem with so much verbal uh descriptions of brands is that they're so sort of generic you know everyone wants to be adventurous and human um and you know if you had something like heroic it would it would be so great to, to, to sort of i'd love to be part of a presentation where you say your brand hypothetical the core brand, the core brand tenant is is, is, is the personality is her, being heroic and then you've got to, they've got to decide what sound, what heroic sound they match. It would almost be like I would know, I would learn more about what they actually mean by that descriptor from the sound than I do from the uh from the verbal, you know. And sometimes the sound would become much more of a better descriptor than just the the using the uh the adjective alone.
1: For sure. I mean, obviously there's a lot of power behind what sound can do just immediately to elicit a, an emotional response. But I think to your point about how do you get to a place where you do something where it's not gonna feel, like this could be talking about any brand, every brand says they're human. Um, what can you do to get to something that's really specific to what they're about? And so, yeah, it's understanding like, you know, the industry in which they're operating, where are these sounds can be heard? Is it within a product experience or in a you know TV ad campaign? Who are they trying to reach what audiences there's like a lot of different things obviously you know you think about for anything you'd be creating for as far as brand assets um but all those things start to play into you know how we start to develop that strategy like how do we differentiate ourselves from your competitive set um what are things we can learn from other industries if you're saying you're you know all about a particular intention there's a lot you can learn from there might be something happening in a totally different industry but they're appealing to the same type of audience and context um, that you can learn from. That also helps differentiate within your, you know, competitive landscape. So it's it all it's a you know it's all those things kind of like come together to ultimately, you know, through that first phase of our projects process. You know, um, you know after we've done the audit, understanding the brand and, and what they're doing and not doing so far. What does a competitive landscape look like? Where can we find inspiration? You know, leading towards under you know a set of insights. Um, and where there's opportunities and, you know, I guess of skipping for a little bit to, you know, um, you know, how do we end up finding uh, a potential solution? You know, usually when we're engaging with a, a client, they maybe already have a sense of, you know, they want to go forward with developing a sound logo. That's often a, a an initial entry point into developing some sort of sonic branding. Um, they may not know exactly like how it's going to be, how it's actually going to work or what it actually should be, but, sort of determined that that's the thing they want to create, because that's a kind of, at this point, everyone's got us, you know, we need to have one too. So that's, so maybe there are some constraints in that regard in terms of, okay, well, that's what we're ultimately going to deliver at the end of the day. Um, So part of it's about how do we make sure that that thing's working really effectively for them, and they have all the tools they need in order to implement it once we're not in the process anymore, but also starting to unpack and reveal different opportunities across different areas of the business where, maybe they hadn't really thought about where sound could play a role. You know, in the best case, we're working with a client where it's more open, brief, you know, but it's never, you know, it's rare for it to happen where it's like, we know we want to do something, we're not sure what it is, help us figure it out and give us recommendations. And that does happen sometimes. And then we, you know, out of that, come up with an idea, right? Maybe this is a a first foray that makes sense for you. Um, But but yeah, so whether it's a a sound logo or oftentimes, you know, a set, a small set of product sounds, that's an often a, a place that we start just even between those two different types of deliverables, there's really different approaches that even if we're starting with essentially the same core sonic DNA, your brand is consistently about these things. The way it shows up sonically in those different contexts can be quite different, right? So you're talking about a sound logo, there's a lot more opportunity to flex as far as you know, maybe fuller, richer instrumentation with more instruments that then is gonna pair up nicely with music that'll underscore that ad, right? It has to flow easily from what you've just uh, final moment of that ad. Um, The difference with like a a product sound is, you know, that is gonna have some elements of that sort of core brand Sonic DNA embedded in it, but it's a very functional purpose and those sounds are very short, even though the you know, the difference between a sound logo versus a product on sound logo, it's still you're talking about like two two, three seconds, right? Very short. But there's ultimately kind of quite a bit you can do narratively within that time frame um, to get across a, a brand idea. Uh, when it comes to product though, you're talking about something that's like a second, you know, it's maybe it's a sound, a discrete tone. Um, but when you think about them together as a set, they they work together as a family, um, they can do a lot to sort of support a product experience that isn't fatiguing. If you hear it a lot, it's delightful, but not taking up too much space. Um, But it can, but ultimately like it
2: doesn't uh, occupy the same sort of bandwidth as potentially a logo could.
0: Are you look sorry when you do an audit? Are you looking at all the potentialities, or are you just looking at what they have as an existing map?
1: Sorry, I didn't hear you for uh, the first part of your question. It's not like you got cut
0: out. Um, yeah, when you do an audit, are you looking at just the sounds they have, or are you looking at all the sounds they could have?
2: It's it's a little bit of both. I mean. Yeah, obviously, if they have developed sound, I mean, any sound really, even if it's kind of campaign driven, we definitely want to you know sink our teeth into that and understand, you know, what's the strategy behind their choices there. Um, certainly, if they have audio brand assets, we definitely want to have those and understand kind of um, what's working and what's not. Um, and then opportunities, absolutely. Like, um, as Paul was mentioning earlier. Um, the best briefs are ones that are a little bit more open because there is a lot of room for opportunity. Sometimes clients come in and they, they have an immediate need for one thing, but they have a massive, you know, um, brand architecture that has so much potential out there. Um, So that's certainly an area that we focus on in that initial discovery.
0: What percentage of Fortune 100 brands would you say have a fully developed audio slash brand strategy and just to get a a handle on what you what you think the the potential is or what you think how how penetrated this thinking is
2: i'd say right now i want to i want to say maybe 10 percent. paul what were your thoughts curious
1: yeah i mean that seems fair i think that there's uh brands that you would assume have certain sonic assets that don't And it's not necessarily a problem because they're maybe doing other things really well, sonically, musically. Um, So you could even just think of, you know, the Apples and the Googles and, you know, the big tech brands where maybe, you know, like surprisingly, they don't necessarily have a sound logo, but they do a lot of other things really specifically, distinctively. And and there's, you know, some decisions behind why they maybe haven't done that. Um, I think what's been interesting, particularly with Google, where we could have said historically they haven't had a sound logo, they've started implementing and using a product sound. So sounds that are associated with different products as a sound that kicks off their ads. So when you see the logo come on, come on screen, you'll hear, you know, a notification sounds associated with uh, whether it's Chromebooks or their, you know, phones, things like that, or that then like you associate, cause um, that's a way then to create then now, like a signature sound that's really short, concise, but totally tied to product. Um, so, those are different decisions that we're seeing folks make. So, yeah, so while there may not be like the typical, oh, they don't have a sound, but they have like some interesting things happening in other places of the brand.
2: Yeah, yeah. kind of piggy- piggybacking on that really quickly. I mean, uh, every brand has, you know, different needs, right? They're going to flex in different ways at different touch points. So, um, just because it's not 360 degrees for every brand, that's not necessarily a problem. You know, we don't need to create um, extra sound where it's really not necessary. So, yeah, the Googles of the World, you know, the the Microsoft's of the world, I think are doing a really good job on executing um at the right touch points.
0: You take us through um an example of some of some of the projects or something you worked on recently. I know you worked on Ford. Um just take us through a kind of illustration of uh, of how how something works. Maybe it was more of a maybe one a tactical, maybe one that's more strategic if you can, if you're allowed to.
2: Connor, do you wanna talk a little bit about maybe
1: for uh, the work that is in the world?
2: Yeah, so mock um, e is, is one that we can speak to. Um, and I think for that really kind of speaking about the, there's an interesting part of this project that with EVs in particular, you know, there's a, a federal regulation now around having to make a certain sound at a um, certain speed. So between, I think it's zero and 18 miles per hour, a car has to make a sound because EVs are naturally silent. Um, but it's interesting because a, a lot of these cars that are coming out that need this don't have legacy or heritage. Um, and F-150, I'm sorry, not F-150, but uh um, Mach E actually does, you know, it's, it's the, um, uh, it's the, uh, I'm forgetting the original model. What's it's the Mustang. So it's the yeah, electric the Mustang, Mustang. Mustang yeah. excuse me. Um, so the electric Mustang, right. So it has a very legacy heritage sound to it. Um, and, and, and really using that legacy and heritage, but bringing it to the modern day was a really interesting challenge. Um, but something I think, uh, we executed on really well, right. Um, because it's important, you know, these types of brands that have this heritage and legacy, another example is state farm, um, that, you know, they have this legacy melody. How do we make it modern? How do we bring it to today? Um, while keeping that kind of equity that's built. Um, so yeah, Mustang or E was a very interesting example of that, that, um, you know i think we were able to hold on to that heritage but kind of bring in the future um and part of that process was really understanding that heritage you know and, and digging deep onto that original engine's engine tone and and what notes is it hitting and, and how did it impact um people on an emotional level right um and then translating that into kind of a more modern context
0: yeah yeah that's really really interesting the the the, the who 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 typically gets involved at the client side on these type of projects? I mean, there must be a really interesting mix of people. Uh, cause I wouldn't think of Ford, you've got some engineers and people who know engines and maybe you got some mm-hmm. brand people?
2: Yeah, it can really be a range. I mean, you know, a lot of the work we do too, is an in internal, um, user experience alerts, notifications for the in-car experience. So, um, you're interfacing more with UX folks at that level. Um, for Engine Tones, definitely, um, you know, engineering groups, but it all, I mean, depending on the company, it all goes, you know, generally to the top, right? So at least to the VP of design level. Um, so it's it's quite a range, I mean, depending on what the actual execution and deliverables are. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a range of folks.
0: And then just g- going into the sort of uh, the, the app world when you're talking about apps and sounds and things like that, how how does that how does that work? Are you doing you said you were doing quite a bit of work in that area. Is that right?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, app space is a big one. Um, Tinder was one that we've done um, in the last three years. It's very popular. Um, it's it's a unique space because you know, these are living on our cell phone devices, right? So it requires a, a bit of a different thinking behind design, right? It's not full frequency. So, um, you know, they're, they're uh, kind of guardrails there as far as what we can do from a uh, frequency perspective and fidelity perspective. Um, but there's still a ton of opportunity to introduce something extremely unique. So uh, PayPal is a good example of work we've done in the past. Um, Uber also, you know, driver notifications for Uber and Lyft, both of those, um, you can really, even though those, um, restrictions, right. With the the speaker playback aren't, aren't, uh, are pretty tight. They definitely limit you. There's still a lot of flexibility, like Uber and Lyft are great examples because if you look at the visual brands, their color palettes, their type fonts, um, just how they present themselves in the world are starkly different. Right? And the sound directly represents that. Um, you know, Uber uh, or Lyft being much more playful, a bit more bubbly, um, a bit more on the, <laughs> I'm gonna go back to human side of things, <laughs> quote, unquote. Um, whereas Uber is definitely sleeker, you know, more sophisticated. Um, yeah, so there, there's, there's still a lot of opportunity to flex in the app space, um, but there, there are generally more limitations um, with the playback there
1: ultimately trying to just create something that people won't turn off because i mean the the tendency is just turn those sounds off on your phone it's annoying um, so you want to make sure you're not making sound too often and, and making sound when you need to and doing it in a way where um it's going to hold up over repeated listens it's not going to be fatiguing and um you know so that then call comes into like making it functional making it being able to be heard particularly in different types of environments, whether it's in your phone, it's in your pocket, are you wearing your Air, AirPods or, you know, is it in the phone in the other room or, you know, how does it sort of register um, to be heard but not be um, distracting? So we also have been working with a lot of telecoms companies, particularly, you know, communications platforms where perhaps, um, you know, for call centers, you know, voice over IP, um, business phone, like where there's maybe different kind of integrated tools for, uh, for phone, you're making phone calls doing video conferencing. And there's like, you know, it's kind of a a kind of centralized hub that you're maybe interacting with on your desktop machine, but also on your mobile device and optimizing sounds for those different, even just with your digital device, you know, your devices that those sounds are going to be optimized differently, both for for frequency response and fidelity, as, as Connor mentioned, but also because, you know, if it's on your desktop machine, you're sitting in front of that computer, you don't need to shout at somebody. It's more of a tap on the shoulder as opposed to Maybe if it's coming off of your phone and the phone is sitting on your couch in the other room, it maybe needs to register a little bit differently. So perhaps um, the sound is still the same tone, but it's maybe a, an octave up versus an octave down. Or there's a little bit more, uh, you know, sort of richness, um, you know, range to the sound that you hear on the desktop versus a mobile device. So there's definitely things we kind of think, think about this both as far as like functionally, but also just in terms of your like workflow. Um, that'll be different depending on where it shows up.
0: So we were talking earlier about, like, uh, I was mentioning just the, the, the evolution from the Sonic logo, and now we've got um, AirPods, right? We've got this whole new potential landscape. That you know, it may be our ears that direct us to places rather than glasses. What do you, what do you guys feel about that space? Is that are you starting to see anything there? Is that completely um I mean you could imagine what kind of things could you do? If you are a retail customer a, on a loyalty program and you pass a store, does the notification come that there's a discount, there's a sale on does it come through an audio or does it come through on a on a notification and a text message as a geo, as a geo-triggered you know, message, for yeah. example, I know nothing about this. I'm just, no, I'm just hypothetically <laughs> speculating.
1: Yeah, no, it's a huge opportunity. There's, there's, it's still early days with some of this stuff, but obviously we've seen even just for like the last decade where folks have been trying to get in the space and figure out an approach to AR, augmented reality specifically around visual content. And um, like you said, different kinds of glasses whether it's Google Glass or other things that you know, variety snap. Every, you know, a lot of different companies have, have, have sort of entered into the space and tried some things out. I think where it's been challenging is because it's it's introducing a whole new uh, modality, a whole new way of interacting with content that there's been, maybe been some barriers or challenges to it actually permeating the market. Um, I think where you've seen something really take a hold as far as like augmented reality experiences is, is obviously with Pokemon Go, where you saw it really go broad and you could see. Uh, The real, you know, potential implications they could have for uh, a lot of users using it on their phones as a game uh, experience, but obviously a lot of data and a lot of understanding comes out of that in terms of where people are, how they're interacting with that content that then applies to so many different contexts, whether it's even just simple things that, you know, are Using Google Maps on your on your phone when you're driving around and it's giving you instruction, that's essentially a kind of augmented experience. Um, but you could imagine that then it's as it translates into, you know, your AirPods, your your wireless uh, headphones that are always in our ears all the time. It becomes an extension of our body, and those devices being smart and being able to then, you know, relay information to you wherever you are, whenever you are, whether it's geolocation or also starting to think about different sort of ways of approaching it in indoor environments. Um, it's a real huge opportunity and it allows you to still be um, heads up, not being distracted visually, um, where that's maybe some of the potential barriers around some of the, gl- the glasses um, ideas where you're, there's a layer of digital information that's in front of you as you're moving through the world, um, but being able to do it through your ears so that your eyes are you know, still focused on what they need to be, but you're getting that information, whether it's wayfinding, whether it's directions about where you're going, whether it's maybe interesting information about, you know, something where if you're walking around you're like, oh, this is a restaurant that you've pinned before. And now it's recommending you pop up over there. You're nearby. You know, it could be even things that are quite functional like that. Um, like you said, definitely within the retail environment, you can really imagine how, um, you know, if yeah, like those, those loyal uh, customers, if they're in a particular shop or walking by that they're getting maybe a, a notice about something on sale or, there's a lot of things that could happen in, in that context. Um, I think where you're seeing stuff happening so far, though, is really more. Uh, there's been some, you know, interesting creative cultural experiences. Whether it's people creating sound walks um, to experience music or stories um, in different environments, and it's and it's geolocated, and that could be a fun uh, ex- exploration. Um, you know, definitely cultural institutions have been trying to think about different ways to engage audiences, particularly in, in the era we're living in over the last couple of years to engage with you know artists or their collections in different ways where it's maybe you're not necessarily even in the museum environment, um, whether it's, you know, hanging uh, artworks on your wall in your, in your home virtually, you know, through an AR app, um, those are kind of like, you're seeing a lot of that, but how does that then extend also into audio tours um, for understanding, you know, collections? And, um, so all's to say, I think there's a lot of opportunity there.
2: Yeah, kind of going off on that real quick, I, I have an Apple watch and I find it really interesting when I drive and I put on Apple Maps and, um, you know, it'll tell you, it'll give you certain haptic feedback to go right or left. And also there's a tone that's different in pitch, but it's very simple, but it's very informative, right? So I think that multimodal approach is necessary because, you know, one thing, one of our big philosophies is, is not adding to the noise. You know, we don't want too much. We don't want to send too many push notifications that have audio, right? So, you know, being hyper strategic about, okay, do we use haptics here? Do we use audio here? Do we use visuals here? Do we use all of them here? Like what, what are we doing? And why, you know, and being very um, intentional about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, tons of opportunity, for sure.
0: What about what about voice? You know, um, you sort of voice is a is a key part of the of brand, right? Um, you know what what the brand sounds like other than music. It's like a human voice, but it seems like there are so many computerized generic voices.
1: Yeah, I mean brand voices be, means a lot of different things to brands, right? Where it's historically yeah, yeah. talking about brand voices, talking about personality. Yeah, I'm talking of, more about an actual an actual yeah, voice, Yeah.
0: sound. Yeah. What is the what is the human what accent is it? You know, what do they do they speak? Do they even want to define that? Do they are they scared of defining it uh, so specifically? Um and how do you avoid it sounding just like a generic computer generated thing? That is just the technology
1: is getting better. Yeah,
0: it's getting better.
1: Yeah. Well, so I, I I think just to kind of like backtrack. Obviously, you know, more and more of our devices uh, listen to us and speak to us, and whether it's obviously smart speakers and you know digital assistants, Siri, things that we interact with on our phones, Uh, but also as to Connor's point around multimodal. A lot of the smart devices in our world are becoming multimodal in terms of them being, you know, for example, smart TV that has voice-enabled functionality, um, so you can move through menus in a way with your voice. Um, so, voice uh, functionality is just becoming more and more just an aspect of these different platforms, not necessarily a thing that's separate from, you know, it's it's integrated. So, it's becoming a place where brands then need to think about how they're interacting with consumers with users. And not only from just like a functional level of like how that this works well um, and that there's a user journey that makes sense but also a huge opportunity in terms of how do we sound in that context so we are starting to work with clients a lot around you know strategically you know what is your brand voice again to the point of like the brand dna around the core attributes how those translate now instead of just into like a instrumental approach for musically but also into voice casting, who are the type, what are the types of voices? What do they sound like? Yeah. To the point of like accent, you know, regionally, you know, different things that some of these cues maybe suggest about who we're about um, then leads to sort of a better understanding of like how to make decisions around casting, not only for any kind of content you're creating, whether it's like, you know, a commercial voiceover, but also like podcasts, you know, original branded content. Uh, audio ads, but, and then it gets into whether they have potentially a digital assistant, a voice assistant, some are call centers, um, you know, recorded messages that we're used to hearing when we call in for, for, you know, help, you know, from whatever it might be. Oftentimes those voices are, like you said, they can sound quite robotic. They're synthetic. It's a turnoff and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go through this, like, I'm going to be this queue, where I'm answering these questions and this, this voice doesn't understand, you know. So first of all, like making sure that you know, you're at the brand level, having a clear understanding of what you're about, who who how you sound, how that how you can go about casting, and then finding voices that you can actually then use to create synthetic experiences. And like I said, you know, the technology is getting better. Um, you can create really through you know through AI. Being able to essentially through you know, it does take quite a bit of recording, but this is something we start we are doing, which is you know working with voice actors to capture enough of their you know. Of their voice, doing a variety of different types of things to then essentially train an AI to uh, translate that information into something that then becomes, you know, essentially data that can be used to um, speak back anything. So that's where you get into uh, text to speech, speech to speech to text kind of um, technologies where you know, depending on what the response needs to be, it's read back to you through this voice in a way that sounds authentic to the brand. so, yeah, so I think that that's, that's huge. That's starting to grow so it's you know, not only like making sure that you're starting to show up in the voice space, but making sure that it sounds right for, for the brand and is done authentically and isn't a turnoff. And also like ultimately gets you to uh, a result as a user, as a consumer, that's more efficient. So not getting out into like a queue where you're calling in and you have to keep answering the same questions over and over again, like tell us what you're, you know, and, it's, and it feels like that information is being understood so that once you finally do speak to a person, hopefully very quickly, um, there's sort of that triage you know, process that happens up front to get you an answer more effectively. And so that's all kind of tied into, you know, voice technology and TTS um, as a kind of, you know, branded product experience.
0: So we, when you were talking about, it's really fascinating, this whole idea that you, you can find voice talent and then, um, you know, record that voice talent and then train an AI. Is, are those kind of out of the box solutions or how, are they, is that the uh, the pioneering end of uh, this world and how, are the companies doing that or how does that it work?
1: It's getting more and more very quickly where it's getting to be more accessible. So just on the end of like creating a voice app, so a, a, you know an action or a skill for Alexa or for Google, right? There's a lot of tools that are out there that are essentially you know, trying to create essentially like a Squarespace for voice apps. So being able to more easily create a voice experience, voice UX without having to know a lot of code. So on that side of it is becoming much more accessible very quickly. Um, you still do that. Obviously a lot of specialized companies that do that kind of work, um, which is great. And that's particularly in like the automotive space. Um, there's a lot of that that's been happening historically for years. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like building, creating a synthetic voice, there are tools that are out there different, whether it's, you know, Amazon, Google, and, and Microsoft all have their, their, their tools for building a synthetic voice. They're not necessarily super user, you know, intuitive out of the box that anybody can get in there and start creating one. But at the end of the day, it's about, you know, X number of hours of recording with a particular person to capture enough types of um, uh, responses that essentially provides enough information to then use that as DNA really to like create then to reback back any potential response that might come up um, in that voice so it's not so much that they've. As an actor have recorded already every possibility every permutation that's not what it's about it's actually like that that becomes essentially um, the dough that you can use to create and bake anything right um, so it's it's. You know, at one level, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of that entering into kind of scary territory. You know, it is. You know, it 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 has that potential, but I think what it hopefully at the end of the day is doing is providing, you know, something that is going to feel feel right, feel authentic, uh, make sense for brands, make sense for obviously for users, and make the experience better.
0: What what role does um, research play? I mean, is 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 the is the user testing is the user experience feedback is the stuff that prototyping um you get are are people doing pilots and 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 coming back and you know is there is there a research process that goes on that uh before someone you know presses you know go on a project and it's out in the world is there a bunch of research that gets done uh to validate that this is the right choice and all that stuff and
2: and yeah how,
0: how is that done
2: yeah, absolutely. So we work kind of multiple ways with with our partners as far as um, what types of testing we do, and then who we partner with specifically. So some a lot of companies have internal test groups where we kind of you know slot into their um, their testing methodology and actually help them kind of build out those tests. Obviously, collecting feedback and then iterating in design based off of feedback. But we also you know outside of the internal. Brand uh, testing partners. There, we also uh, partner with third-party um, groups that you know can do explicit and implicit testing um, to where they're getting reactions, you know, in real time that you know it could be um, uh, directly related to those brand attributes. Does this sound empathetic? Does this sound premium? You know, those types of things, um, or more implicit, kind of emotional-based testing. You know, and in reading people's responses based off of sounds. Um, so there's kind of, we offer uh, multiple ways of, of testing for clients um, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, flex based off of client needs there.
0: You guys heard about this research that was done in the UK. It's, it's, it's called the Pringles uh, test done by the University of Oxford. They found that um, they, they put, uh, put headphones on people while they were eating potato chips. And they found that the, that the although they were the same potato chips, they found that the louder sounds suggested a higher quality, better chip.
1: Yeah, it's Charles Spence, right, Over yeah. Oxford, He's doing really interesting research yeah. around that, those relationships, food and sound texture. Yeah, um, su- yeah, super interesting. I think you're seeing some interesting stuff coming out. I, and again, it gets to kind of like multisensory, multimodal, in the interactions between these things, the impact that sound. And I, I think conversely, they're looking at, he's been interested in like, you know sounds impact on taste um what are certain things you can kind of do to kind of uh, elicit sea, different
0: playing the sea on an ipad the sounds of the sea <laughs> while you're eating a certain dish at a very expensive restaurant
1: yeah it's all really cool it's definitely uh you know bleeding little out, out as far as yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some of it it's, I mean, you're right it, like definitely like he's 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 legit definitely respect what he's doing and and but it's also being mindful. There's a lot of stuff that's out there, particularly thinking about like sound, cognition, and impact on mood and sleep, behavior, all these kinds of things. And you know, there are some folks that are out there that sort are of purporting to you know say that sound has this you know impact, direct impact on certain things. And you know, it, we we definitely believe in the power of sound to impact so many things around mood and emotion. And um, but also being mindful of like you know, it's it's where is it actually like. Um, medicine and where is it sort of like enhancing and supporting and um you know what it actually potentially can do.
0: One thing one thing I, I kind of going back a bit. Um do you do you so I often feel that um one of your most obvious places to look for sounds would be advertising to see the soundtracks and to see the music that that these brand has used in its advertising but sometimes the decisions that go into that are kind of strange they're like maybe editorial choices to just help the narrative or they involve rights issues because they couldn't the original song they couldn't afford so they have something else do you think it's a good tell the uh looking at advertising music as a as a basis or it could it be quite misleading i i, I feel it could be quite misleading potentially
2: yeah i think i mean personally you know i think audio uh, or music specifically in advertising is isn't quite there yet you know we're we're getting there um to where it's becoming more intentionally brand focused um but certainly historically it's it's been more on that kind of similar Tip to what you're talking about, right? It's kind of more campaign driven, more support the narrative. Which, of course, like we 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 have to do both, right? It's like we have to support the narrative. We have to um, take the user on a journey, right, in a way that's suitable for the advertisement. Um, but there's there's benefit to do it through the brand lens. So, I think it's it's getting there, but but yeah, I mean, currently we're not fully there yet, um, and and historically, certainly um, it's been not seen through the brand lens, I'd say.
0: Finally, as we, as we come, as we come to a close, um, if anyone's listening to this, I mean, hopefully people, <laughs> people will be listening. Um, uh, where do they start? You know, what, what was it, what would be a good, like, is it something to read? Is there a brand that you particularly hold in high regard? Who's got this right? If they, if, if, if someone at an agency or at a client side, um, is really interested in this space
2: and wants to read more or, or learn more about best practices. Where would you where would you send them? What should what should they be looking at, listening to, your reading? Other other than your website, obviously. I was going to say go to the go to the listen website. We <laughs> plug. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great and interesting question. Um, I think there's, I wouldn't necessarily say go to a textbook necessarily, I would say, think about it in the way that you think about your visual brand, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I mean, to me, it's really not much different, you know, Um, it should be a similar type of process, um, but identifying those areas of opportunity, you know, no one knows their brand, like the people that work there, right? So identifying those areas of opportunity, Are we heavily weighted in comms, you know, it's like, insurance sector, right? They advertise a ton. So there's a ton of opportunity. Historically, they use Sonic logos everywhere. Huge opportunity for the insurance sector. If you're in automotive industry, you know, um, comms is certainly a place to focus, but um, you know, automotive and tech kind of in the same bucket, it's product focused, right? So huge area of opportunity um, that you can unlock there. And I think it's, once you start thinking about it from a form of function and then spinning that and thinking about okay how do we think about our visual brand language um and how can we kind of implement that thinking just outside of functionality to incorporate into audio right so yeah that's probably not a direct answer as far as like passing along um
0: it's it's uh, a a way a way a way they should be thinking
2: yeah totally yeah Yeah.
0: um so does that mean when you if you work on a big, bigger project, and I know you work on a mix of both, um, I, presume, I presume for every project, there's some kind of like we obviously kind of you were talking about your brothers working in like graphic design, visual design and being familiar with like visual guidelines, brand guidelines, Do you guys produce audio guidelines? Is that such a sound? Gu- are they such a thing? Is that such a thing?
1: Yeah, they are. That's, that's a part of our deliverables. So aside from handing over assets. So in the case of a sound logo, there's a, oftentimes there's a hero sound and it's, it's a contained audio file. Um, We're usually sharing then the individual instruments and stems that go into making that sound. So they have that as a kind of flexible toolkit to potentially create different versions. Um, and then there's strategic guidelines because we know that, you know, there are definitely instances where we work with clients long-term and we come in and work on different scopes out of that initial um, inquiry. Um, there's definitely instances where, you know, we step away, want to make sure that folks have the tools they need in order to implement at different levels. If they are briefing in a composer, music supervisor, or different agencies that they're working with, um, the tools are there. And essentially the guidelines that we create become a chapter that sits inside of the brand's Bible, you know, the street strategic islands that go along with visual and verbal. Um, it's another you know component in that. And so we're making sure that you know this is this this is the logo. This is what it is. This is how it's constructed. These are the kinds, this is the thinking that went into it as far as like what the brand's about and how it translates into sound. Here's some tips on what to do and not to do, how to implement it effectively. Um, here are some examples in situ examples of how it works within um a, t- a typical type of you know TV campaign. Um, you know, all the, you know, the things that are going to be functional at that point, there's like, you know, we have an understanding of like how it's going to work now. Um, sometimes we'll do like tutorial videos. It's like, here's a, a, a session where um, this is how a mix might look. If you're trying to combine these different elements of voiceover, music, different sound design elements, a logo, and all how they all come together in a way that's effective. Um, and in some cases, we'll create a, a brand film, you know, maybe there's a brand anthem, Um, It's showing how a logo can translate into a longer piece of music. Um, It's potentially sort of like a North Star. It's wayfinding for how they might go about creating music composition in the future. And basically functions as an asset that sort of pulls it all together. That even if you don't read the strategic guidelines, there's a, here's, watch the video. (laughs) You know, here's how it kind of all comes together. So, yeah, it's definitely an important part of like handing off, making sure that, you know, that work is actually going to be successful and be actionable.
0: Right. That's great. Thank you very much. Really great journey, really interesting conversation. We appreciate you uh, spending the time with me. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.